0: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually all right guys meet leah slaughter co-founder of Omnikey realty l slaughter properties and slaughter investing um, we are super excited to have you here today leah we're going to talk about how to work with investors in particular as a realtor so why don't we just jump right into it like broad strokes overview if you're a brand new realtor looking to connect with investors what would you do
1: the first thing that i would do is partner with someone that has a lot of rental listings and start showing rentals Uh, You know, that's where most of us started. And really, it's about establishing your name in the business. And as you work with renters, you'll find renters have homes that they need to rent out, or they know people who have rental properties. And so you have to find a way to get your foot in the door. It's a very kind of exclusive club at this point. And starting with the renter side is definitely the way to go.
0: Oh, you're so right about that. You know, when I got licensed, I'm second generation. That was the first thing my dad said. He was like, go get some rentals, man. It's the easiest money you'll ever make. Um, But what he didn't prep me for is like, you have to do a lot of stuff in between the ears. Like there's a lot of work, especially in the beginning when you're brand new or you're doing a lot of work. You're not used to working for free all the time. So, you need to prepare yourself for that. I wish you 'd prepare me better mentally because it 's a tremendous model to start with, like mm-hmm. if you can 't make money renting houses in an urban market, you are not cut out for real estate because it is so no. easy. like the leads are free um, it's just it 's the easiest thing to do. so I mean that is such a tremendous strategy for anybody listening if you 're not yet making fifty thousand dollars a year in real estate, you can do it with rentals and you could do it very quickly oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Cool. So once you have an established rental income, Leo, what's next?
1: You know, I think it really depends about what direction you want to go. You know, we took the direction of investments and property management. And it's not an easy path. It's it's lucrative, but it's not easy. Uh, You want to be a traditional buyer seller, then start working open houses. I think a lot of people have forgotten that open houses sell houses. And it's not just selling it because of the people walking and buying it. But but it's because a lot of people don't have agents. You know, the one positive of everyone going online to look for property is they're not being referred to people in the same way. And so, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, you worked with John Doe because your friend referred you to John Doe. Well, now it's instant gratification, right? So people pull up their their phone and they go on Realtor.com or Zillow or whatever and they find a property. They don't give a crap who the listing agent is. They're going to go see if there's an open house, go show up. And so a lot of these buyers don't have agents. And so uh, this aversion that new agents have to hosting open houses is, I don't understand it because that's where a lot of us got our first buyers. And obviously that can turn into investors and that's the most kind of longevity play that you can have because the market's very cyclical, right? So you can have buyers and sellers and depending on what the market's doing, depends on how many of those there are. Your goal as an agent is to build a resilient business and working with investors is certainly the way to do that.
0: Absolutely. And the beauty of the open house model is I could call any agent in a very high priced area and I can ask them if they want me to host an open house. And most of them are not going to be offended by that. They'll be like, yeah, sure. My seller is probably going to love that. Go for it. And guess what? I'm getting very high priced buyers and I'm also potentially creating a relationship with the seller, too. Who knows? It might not sell. Um, <laughs> so
1: no, you never know. You never know. And, you know, what's funny to me is how many agents don't want to host their own open houses. You know, it's just one of those things. We sell tons of property. We, we have a whole investment acquisitions and sales model, and our agents host them. Our, the listing agent doesn't host them, and they want those leads. They're hungry for that. But the ones that are already successful, who wants to waste their weekend sitting in an open house?
0: Exactly. That's something you grow to, right? Like once you have all the listings, you don't have to do the open houses anymore, but you could find agents to do the open houses because it's a wonderful lead flow. You'd be amazed how many people are ill-informed now. How many people will walk into an open house and be like, yeah, I wanted to work with the list agent directly. And it's like, wait a second, why would you want to do that? Um, please tell me why. It's like, why, why do you think that's a good idea? I'm like, okay, cool. It's like, do you want me to tell you why that's a bad idea? <laughs> um it is so easy to convert those people but i'd say they're almost like two out of ten people that walk in like oh i just want to work with a listing agent because i want to work directly with the person with the seller And it's like that is not to your advantage
1: <laughs> no. well first of all, you can't do it anyway right you're going to have an intermediary in my state especially so if your listing agent is the broker you're going to have people assigned anyway But, you know, it's really interesting how people don't understand the bare basics of real estate. And and in today's world, I really do feel like, because everything is at our fingertips and online now, that people understand less an agent's role than what they did before. I can't tell you how many tenants reach out to us and they don't realize that you can have an agent represent you to help you find a lease house for free. There's just this kind of misconception or loss of information that's happened in the last 15, 20 years.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Most people don't know that you can use, use an agent to find a, a rental, which is strange. Um, but I mean, I guess it's just not out there, I suppose. <laughs> it's not information yeah. that is readily available. Um, what did you say right before that? I feel like it was really important.
1: <laughs> I have no idea.
0: No? All right, <laughs> cool. I guess we'll just wing it from here and then. Um, <laughs> there's something I wanted to talk about there. Oh, Dual agency. So I suppose you don't, you don't do dual agency in your state. It doesn't sound legal at all. Does it? We, does it we doesn't have what's make? called
1: intermediary. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just different. So typically, what happens is there's an agent assigned to each side, and it just works a little bit differently. It has to be disclosed before negotiations, all of that. So they do happen. I know a lot of brokers and owners who won't do it though. So a lot of companies won't allow intermediaries. So it just depends on where your license is held.
0: Okay, cool. I was just curious because I've I've done it a few times. It is not my preference. You know, like usually if I go into that role, it's like, hey, like, yeah, I'm the listing agent. I could represent you, but it gets kind of weird because it actually limits my ability to do my job. It's like I can't give either of you guys advice. I'm basically not even working anymore. It's like I'm presenting information and that's it. It's like you have to make decisions now and I get paid more I mean it's kind of weird um, so <laughs> my preference no, 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 no. is to give it to somebody else like if I have the opportunity it's like hey I would rather you be represented by this guy and I'll represent the seller so that we could have a true negotiation instead of like you guys talking to each other because it's weird then um, well,
1: some way, educating the client too right and so as agents a lot of our job is not just negotiating but educating I was, I was interviewed a little earlier today for something, and she was telling me about a situation with a leak in the kitchen and that that agent's not educating their client about, you know, mold remediation, blah, blah, blah. And the bottom line is that sometimes in that intermediary status, we're also limited in how we can educate, too, because a lot of that representation bleeds into education. And, uh, you know, I think to be a successful agent, to be a good agent, you're an advocate, and it's very hard to be an advocate in an intermediary.
0: I so strongly agree with you. That's why I almost refuse to do it because I feel like I can't do anything. It's like you asked me a question. It's like I could point you in the direction now. That's like Mm -hmm. the best I can do (laughs) because I don't want to lose my license. It's kind of important that I have that, right? Just Um, a little. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of important. (laughs) Very cool. So I want to get back on track here. We're supposed to be talking about connecting with investors. So one of the things you mentioned was rentals. So did you use the rentals like – How did you transition that into investing? I'm just very curious because it sounds like you skipped almost the traditional agency model a little bit.
1: We did. So, I mean, we started out at 18 and 19. We started our company. So we're kind of a unique story. Uh, We were before the crash doing the listings for for sale by owner and owners.com back before flat fee listings really even existed. And no one really knew what they were at the time. And so uh, somehow that translated into doing a ton of short sales and BPO's for AmeriQuest and then countrywide before they imploded. And so we really kind of saw the market crash coming. A lot of these people owed way more than they could afford to sell for. And so they just turned into rentals and turned into property management. So we really, you know, the first property that Michael walked when he went door to door, my partner uh, was a guy who had a rent house. And so we just kind of got thrown into it day one. It's really all we've ever done. And so for us, that's just always been the model. I can tell you, I know a lot of people who they kind of also just get thrown into it. The ones especially that are very good at it If you're doing enough in the industry and you're hustling hard enough, you're going to be successful as an agent. I know there's that misconception that there's so many of us, but at the end of the day, most people dabble. If you truly are hustling, you truly are grinding, and you're coming up with creative ways to engage people, you're going to, at some point, encounter investors, especially if you're in a top market like where we are in North Texas. And so it's kind of impossible not to get thrown into it. The question is, are you going to embrace it or are you going to dabble? And i think that's what sets apart your six figure agents from your five figure agents from your seven figure agents
0: okay so let's dive deeper into this one so i mean it sounds like one of these models is your preference and you also kind of gave a clear separation of who ends up being who so like why do you think the investing is the way to go
1: resiliency obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, there's also a lack of emotional attachment I can tell you that home buyers are emotionally attached sellers are emotionally attached and that can create contention and it certainly creates more difficult transactions right when you're dealing with an investment property you've already kind of run the numbers before you go into the deal so once you're under contract it's really just condition and financing and if you have well qualified clients that you guide and you educate and you make sure they qualify up front that's typically not an issue so really it's just getting through inspection the process is easier uh, there's also a loyalty that comes so you know a buyer's going to buy a house maybe one time every 10 years uh, an investor if you do well by them and they buy right they're going to buy over and over and over so there's a resiliency a repeat business space there's just so many positives to working with investors
0: oh 100 agreed um my favorite part about the switch from a regular seller to an investor was the lack of being a therapist because <laughs> unfortunately especially in a you know in a, in a thriving market when you have a listing that won't sell because it has a, a beam issue and you're calling that seller every Monday, just like, I'm sorry, I know you're having a lot of troubles right now, but I'm, <laughs> it is a, yeah. it is a very challenging role. Most people don't realize as a realtor, you often play the therapist role. You are often playing the, Hey, let's get it back on track. We're going to, everything's going to be fine. It's like, yeah, I know you missed out on that house, but I tell you nine times out of 10, that the next house that you find, you're going to like more. And that is actually true. But like you have to have these conversations constantly when you're working with regular buyers and sellers and, and investors, that conversation is gone because they already know They're professional buyers and sellers. Um, not only that, but your business compounds quicker because if you got five investors that are each buying five houses a year, it's like, boom, all of a sudden you have a 25 house a year business. Whereas if you did the same thing going after traditional real estate, you built five sales that might lead to five sales in five years so <laughs> yeah. it compounds a lot quicker so i mean for me it's a clear night and day scenario it's like yes you could go after the traditional model but why would you when you could go the other way and it's just i mean it's actually probably easier um, because you could just network like just network just go meet people try to provide value and do that for long enough people will recipro- will reciprocate that is without question
1: Sure. And there's also like the education piece is key, right? Because an investor going into an inspection is more educated, uh, certainly if they've done it before. And so it's an easier process. You get home buyers and sellers, you go into that inspection period and just negotiating, there's this reasonableness that can lack sometimes. And so uh, getting things done is more difficult. And it's also sometimes you're just dealing with people that are so emotional that you, you can't make it work. And there's just know sometimes buyers and sellers get off on the wrong foot too and that can happen on the investment side as well but it's just kind of like pulling teeth and sometimes when you've got oil and water what can you do except cut your losses and so i just find the entire investment model makes more sense and the other piece is you know, ownership is the single biggest investment people are ever going to make. And there's a lot of opportunity for people doing investing to get taken advantage of, especially by agents that aren't educated and don't understand what they're doing. Uh, misguiding or even lenders, for example, you know, with usurious fees or rates or bad programs. We saw that with the adjustable rate mortgages. And so there's a lot of opportunity to make a huge difference working with investors to save people from themselves or from others, too. And that can be very rewarding.
0: Absolutely. So, do you work with any type of investor or do you have a specific avatar that you're kind of seeking out, like a specific model that you have a preference for?
1: So, we work with everybody. I have people who are school teachers who make 40 or 50,000 a year and I have Fortune 500s. So, it just depends client by client. We are we're big. We've got a team of like 49 But our goal is to always remain handholding. And so we are mom and pop. We're very, very much in front of our clients. I invite them into my home every quarter for events. We do free education constantly with them in person. So we really have a connection with our people. And so whether someone is just starting out getting their first property and it took them five years to save up enough for a down payment or whether they've already got 50 and they want me to take it to 200, uh, we give the same level of service, the same model. We are fortunate enough to be in a market that both appreciates and cash flows. And we're, as I mentioned to you before, we're arguably the hottest market in the United States and the most resilient. And so at the end of the day, that presents an opportunity for us to really help people catapult their investment journey very quickly. Um, But again, with that risk comes reward. And so we have to be very careful we do it the right way. And so in my market, a lot of my focus now is education, making sure people are doing it the right way, that they're not listening to these false gurus. You know, I own 40 million in real estate. I practice what I preach. Um, There's just not a whole lot of us that do that. There's a lot of us that talk, but there's not a lot of us that do. And so it's very, very important that those of us that are doing that we don't get so busy making money that we forget to go help the little guy up too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And obviously, like you mentioned, you focus so heavily on education. And the beauty of education is it's a marketing tool also, um, because it's going to bring you business, right? Like I I imagine a lot of the teachers that you end up helping to buy an investment, they probably came through that, right? (laughs) Or something like that, because guess what? Like most people don't think about investing and Mm -hmm. One of the guests said it this way, and I really loved it. He's just like, when you get the first one, it's just like, all of a sudden, the doors are open. You're just like, oh, I can do this. And that's how things catapult. So it's like, if you're educating somebody and teaching them how to invest, you're creating (laughs) compounding business.
1: You are as an agent, obviously, the more that you work with people, the more those people are going to bring other people to work with you. Um, and, And, you know, for me, we're kind of past that point. And so I look back at how we got here and we did all the same things, right? We were buying leads. We were doing word of mouth. We were going to the events. There's so many things that you can do. But the most lucrative thing that you can do as an agent trying to build a business is to help people. Uh, You know, it's kind of one of those sayings like you do good in the world, the world's going to bring good back to you. It really is no difference in education. We can be out there providing benefit to people and providing this free education to people and still make money from it. And so that's why people like you and me do what we do right? Because it's a mission for us to educate, but it also builds our brand and it builds our business. And you don't have to already have a big business to be able to build that brand. You can have one good client and be out there speaking and reach somebody else. Anybody can do a YouTube. Anybody can record a video. Anybody can write a book. It's all about the reach and how you reach them. And it only takes one client to get started.
0: You're so right. So I'm a strong believer, and I'm sure you're a strong believer in this as well, that your value to the world is the value that you give to the world, right? So I try to give as much as I possibly can to anybody. Like I tell people I am an open book. I will tell you anything. I will tell you all my secrets. Just ask me questions. I don't care because I know nine out of 10 people. I could tell them the exact path. They're not going to take the action to get there. Um, so I'm happy to share it. You know, that one out of 10. You know, there's a nine, 90% chance that he's not going to get all the way there. So I'll take the odds. I'm happy to share the information because if somebody does make it, that makes me feel amazing. It's like, oh, I changed that person's life. All I did was share some information. Um, and it's really that simple. Like, it just, I love giving things, I love giving people the whole playbook because
1: a lot of That's times how you get transparency, right? Yeah. You know, when you give them what they need and we're honest about our experiences and we tell them the do's and the don'ts and where we've gone wrong. I think one of the things that a lot of these gurus lack is humility. And I'm the first one to get up there and say, we're not perfect. We don't do it right every time. Not every deal is perfect. Not every deal makes money. But at the end of the day, those are the ones that we learn from that make our model better, that let us educate better, that help us, you know, do better for other people to make money too. And the more money that we make others, the more we're gonna make. That's just kind of life, right? You don't become a top surgeon making a million and a half a year doing $5,000 procedures. Like that's not how it happens. But at the end of the day, I think that providing that value for people is the same reason that they come back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on such an important note there that you're going to fail. Like it's going to happen. Unfortunately, you're gonna lose money. You're gonna make money too. But guess what? You're gonna learn far more From the one you lost money on than the ones that you made money on. Like, I have a list. I've lost 15,000 this time, and I know exactly how I'm never going to do that again. And then I lost 20, and then I made a list of how I'm never going to do that again. But guess what? Like, this list actually becomes a very, very thorough SOP on how to not lose money, Um, (laughs) which –
1: No. And sometimes you're going to lose money on a deal and you're going to sit there on the backside and be like, there's nothing I could have done to prevent it. I have, I did an apartment building. We quoted it two months before COVID. We went to go reframe. We took it to studs, 10 units, went to go reframe, price of wood tripled. So my $150,000 lumber budget went up to like $400,000. What could I have done different? But at the end of the day, what it taught me was not how I could do it different next time because there truly was nothing you could do. But what it did teach me is this is why you stick to the smaller deals because you can't control externally what's out there in the world. And as an agent, that's something, and especially in property management and investing, you really have to learn. You can't control everything. You can't control people. You can't control the inspection report. You can't control a deal that goes south. What you control is your response to it. And there's not always going to be something that you can pinpoint and be like, that's where I need to do different because there's not always a reason. Sometimes things just happen and it sucks. But at the end of the day, it's how we pick ourselves up. It's how we move past it. It's how we modify life to it. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people struggle is they get so buried in the weeds that they forget that you've got a lawn to grow.
0: Absolutely. There is no such thing as a problem that is unsolvable. It simply does not exist. And actually I feel like my times of crisis in life were the most important times of my life because Mm -hmm. I kept going and I made it through and I tended to make like, that's when the aha moment happens. When you're under extreme amounts of pressure, pressure makes diamonds right like that's when you get through it and then you know everything's perfect again and then you know you put yourself in another pressure situation and you're just like oh no this is happening again um
1: <laughs> my biggest success has come from times when we have a situation that's difficult my hardest properties are the ones that make me go back to the drawing board and come up with my ingenious ideas and so for me i don't want everything perfect all the time And, uh, you know, that's just, I think, something that life experience brings you is that you realize that the challenges are actually what propel you forward, not those successes. You know, do I love when I make a million dollars on a transaction? Absolutely. But when I'm in a transaction where I'm like, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to problem solve or troubleshoot this? Or where did this go wrong? That's where the ingenuity comes from. That's
0: kind of where the fun comes from, too. Because if you just keep doing the same thing forever, like that's the thing that kind of hit me like everything gets boring eventually, if you don't ever expand outside of your comfort zone, right? So you can either keep doing the same thing forever, or you could keep trying to grow. And if you keep trying to grow, unfortunately, you're gonna have mistakes again. So I mean, that's part of growth. I mean, it's just it's a cycle that you continue to repeat. And what we find is the most successful people continue to repeat that cycle over and over and over. And they often the most successful people actually often had the largest tragedies like, <laughs> but they make it, you keep going.
1: Yeah. You never, I almost died at 22. Um, and so for me, that was a huge driver of who I am and how hard I've hustled. And it led me to adopt three kids from CPS that were troubled and had terrible backgrounds. And so, um, I think that's absolutely true. I think people who have tragedy, they have a zest for life and a zest for success and making everyday matter that maybe some other people don't understand and it certainly in my life played a role and so um i think we see that a lot and especially people that work a lot right you know people that bury themselves in their work and really want to make a difference for people and really want to come up with something that's going to outlive them and that's going to help people in the future Uh, a lot of us do we look back and we're like this is the moment where we almost didn't make it or this is the moment where my life was almost decided for me so how am i going to decide it for myself in the future and especially if you're type a like me and you don't take no for an answer, you're going to go do whatever the hell you want. And uh, that's what you build your life on.
0: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, my childhood wasn't exactly roses, right. But I feel like it was almost a coping mechanism work. It's like I got this thing to focus on. It gave me something to run after and just go for and then that made me a better person. And then I was able to reflect on my past and forget about it, basically. So like it was an important journey. Um, That's what I love about entrepreneurship in general. It's a self-discovery process more than anything else. And that's the beauty of it. That's why it is the only role I have for my kids. It's like, hey, you can do anything you want. Just don't work for somebody else. If you work for somebody else, make sure they're extremely well off and they're doing exactly what you want to do. You could find a mentor, you could work for them, but you're just learning their strategies so you can do it yourself.
1: (laughs) Here you are giving your kids like this high level advice. And most of us are over here like, please just have a job and don't live at home.
0: (laughs) Well, it's true though. Right. It's, it's like I'm teaching them. Yeah. They need to go out there and find their own food. Like this is something that, like my grandpa said this to me when I was younger. He's like, "Don't," and and I didn't understand it until I was a little bit older. But he's like, "Hey, because he's an entrepreneur. I guess it kind of runs in the family, <laughs> third generation." He's just like, "Hey, so don't get a job. Don't ever get a job because you're you're wholesaling yourself out." And then he broke it down. He's like, "If you own a business, you hire somebody. That person that you pay." is worth more than you pay them or else they would not have a job so anybody that has a job is essentially wholesaling themselves out because they're more valuable than what they're getting paid and i was just like oh wow that's a brilliant revelation so i try to share that as often as possible too because it's true i have employees guess what they make me more money than i pay them
1: yeah no it's true but you know at the end of the day there has to be employees there has to be people that flip burgers there has to be store stalkers And as parents, I think our role is, and as agents, our role is to try to get people around us to move up and to embrace, you know, higher opportunities. But we also understand that's not realistic for everybody and not everyone's capable of it, either emotionally, physically, maybe not their life circumstance, but certainly that lack of of everyone being able to do it is what allows people like you and me to really excel. And that opportunity is out there for anyone who's driven. And I, in my business, we employ a lot of people and I see a lot of different personalities. And I have people at the top who came to me with lots of emotional issues and, you know, hard histories and all sorts of things. And then I have people who come to me where everything's been made in the shade and both of them are capable of building themselves into a successful agent, into a successful entrepreneur. And so you kind of have to be of the mindset that your past is not an excuse to not succeed. It's just about your mental drive. And I think that right now we live in a world where a lot of people are not mentally driven. Uh, They're so stuck in, you know, either crisis or they're stuck in wallowing or they're stuck on social media or the next Snapchat filter. And, um, you know, that just isn't where you get where we are. It's just not it doesn't work. Can it happen for some? Yeah. But am I going to feel am I going to feel fulfilled making two million a year making videos of myself on a beach No no, or how to do makeup or whatever it may be. No, I need to be out there empowering someone to do something. I need to be out there knowing that I'm making a difference. And, you know, not everybody feels that way. I certainly do. I know you do too. And sometimes it's our upbringing, sometimes it's life circumstance, and sometimes it's just our personality. At the end of the day, who you are and what your drive is, that's going to make you a successful agent. So if you're not being successful, you need to look internally. How am I approaching things? Am I bringing a positive attitude? Am I bringing the good work ethic? Because I promise you, if you are busting and all those things and you are bringing your A game every day, even on the days where you don't want to get out of bed, even on the days where you've had a crappy deal that went south, you still get up and you go grind, you will do well. There's just no doubt. You know, you see these incredible kids on the news that come out of the most deplorable situations and they make a major difference in the world. Uh, They didn't let it hold them back. That wasn't their excuse. And so it really is about where you are prepared to take yourself and how much effort you are prepared to put in. And I think that that at the end of the day is a lesson you're teaching your kids. It's certainly the lesson that I'm striving to teach mine. And the hope is that it sticks. The hope is that, you know, we have kids that actually like want to go out there and work because it goes both ways. Right. It's very easy in today's world. We're of the generation where we still had libraries. We still had to do research. We still had to write real papers. You didn't get to retake things three or four times to pass. None of that stuff existed. And so the world has really changed. And so I think in some ways it's harder to motivate people these days than what it used to be. And uh, you know, I'm only thirty five and I'm saying that. So imagine what the people in their fifties and their sixties are seeing and how we're gonna feel in another twenty years. So I think it's really important that we continue to drive ourselves because we're not always gonna have other people driving us.
0: Absolutely. That was so well put. I'm like... It's all internal success is internal. You could have the mindset of a victim or you could have the mindset of a survivor is one way that I like to put it. And it's like, no matter what happens to you, it's like you could think, oh, I got hit in this car accident and that messed up my whole life. Or you could think I left work five minutes early and maybe it was my fault I got into a car accident. But that simple shift actually changes everything because who's responsible? All of a sudden you're responsible. All of a sudden that problem is not somebody else's fault, it's yours. And guess who could fix that? you can um so it's not what happens to you it's what you do about it and like it's really like if there's any life goal i'll just give marcus his book and just like be a stoic because you'll do okay and then you said something else that was really important um and this is something i like to say like attitude effort and habits you can nail those three things you're good you're going to be successful that's it just have a good attitude take Massive action and make sure you're doing it consistently and you'll you will find success. I mean, it's inevitable
1: I wake up in the morning. I don't want to go work out. I don't want to go make a healthy breakfast. I don't want to, you know, have to wake up at 7am to get the kid ready for school and go to bed at 11 so that I get like every day you can approach things one day or you wake up and you're like, it's seven o'clock and I got to wake up another day. And that's obviously for me, a big one. And then it's, oh, I'm so blessed to have this kid to go send to school. And oh, I've got all these appointments today. How much business do I have? It, everything that you are faced with in life. I look at traffic as an opportunity to listen to my favorite song. I look at text messages as an opportunity to connect with people. It's you either shift your thinking or you don't. You either live in this world where everything is crap or you live in the world where everything is great. And that's not always easy. Like I am an eternal optimist, even though I I see the negative in everything. I'm not like stupid about it, but it drives my husband crazy, right? He's like, you can't really think this is good. It's like, you know, am I alive? Are you alive? Are we healthy? Do we have a nice house? Are our kids safe? Like it's priorities. And so sometimes I have to like remind myself when shit hits the fan. It's like, not that bad. Not that bad.
0: Yeah, you know, it's never as bad as you think it will be. Like even when it does hit the fan, it's like, you know what, I'm actually strong enough to get through this. Like it just kind of happens to you'd be surprised. I said, pressure makes makes diamonds. That's usually when you take big leaps right? Like when you're in un, under the most pressure is when you take the largest career leaves. It's like, Oh, my God, look what happened. I everything sucked two me week, two weeks ago. And now everything feels amazing. Um, I love it. It's
1: also like the higher the stakes, the higher the drops, right? Yeah. So You know, we'll have a situation where something doesn't go perfect and it cost me a few grand. And it's like, oh, we lost three grand. It's like, no, we made 10 and we had to give back three of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much about that. It takes money to make money and that includes your losses. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's just all about perspective and shifting it. You you can't lose money if you're not going to make money. And so that's kind of the mentality.
0: (laughs) That's funny. You know, usually they say one person is the gas and one person is the brake. You mentioned, like, you're obviously the optimist. I'm sure you're the gas. It's funny, like me and my business partner. We're both gas. Um, so, <laughs> but
1: how's that I, work out yeah, for you?
0: <laughs> it's good. Well, we're going to need a good COO eventually, um, but it's good. <laughs> it's good in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm the more optimistic one. Whereas, like, he'll be the pessimist sometimes. <laughs> but yeah. you said something very cool. It's like, oh, when I'm in traffic, I get a chance to listen to my good, my favorite song. I've never heard that one before. I haven't been able to twist traffic into optimism yet, but you just gave me the opportunity. It's like, hey, you can do this. So you might as well, because there's no reason to be angry for no reason, right? I mean, you, you could the, the other thing you
1: can do, leave later or leave earlier. Yes. Right? Like <laughs> I mean, even something as simple as traffic, you truly can control it unless you're working for someone else, which if you're listening to this, hopefully you've already learned that's not the right path. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't like the traffic at eight a.m., leave at seven. Leave at nine. There's literally nothing in life you can't control except for death. Maybe taxes. Oh, so but so, I, mean, taxes, I mean, You I can control taxes. taxes. Yeah, you so, can.
0: <laughs> you have a little control over taxes. You. I mean, you got to oh. pay them, but.
1: <laughs> if you don't live in California. Like, there's tons of ways.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's wise. Also, or Illinois. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for me. Um, <laughs> Um, Oh, Leah, this has been so much fun. Um, I'd love to know what your vision is for like the next 12 months. What are you guys looking to accomplish?
1: You know, for me, it's very, very much about embracing this pause in the market. Um, This is short lived, right? So I I think I mentioned to you that for every five new jobs here, we're only building one home. And so the housing shortage is massive and people are kind of getting distracted by interest rates being up, forgetting that when we all started investing after the last crash, this is where rates were you know, rates were in the sixes in 2006. And so uh, for me, it's about taking advantage of the opportunities right now. We have a real estate investment fund, uh, you know, getting that all ramped up and just making sure that we continue to make choices that are good for us, good for the people around us and being out there educating. Uh, for me, post COVID, it's very much been about coming back to basics, recentering on where my goals are, where my time wants to be spent, uh, trying to, you know, maybe not be so busy in the evenings, be more present, uh, certainly, making sure that we're sticking to the goals that we make. And so, um, you know, I think for most of us, COVID was eye-opening. And I think for all of us in one way or another, and I think some of us saw it more than others. But for me in the industry that I'm in, it's a very busy industry. You can work 24-7 if you let yourself. And so being in property management, being in investments, uh, it's very important for me that people recognize that you can step back a little bit. You can. Um, That email can wait a couple hours. And and that's really something that I think is going to be my focus the next 12 months
0: as it should be that's why we're called the freedom chasers podcast um freedom is more important than financial freedom right like and and everybody's freedom goal is their own but i've fallen i mean I'm, i'm in that trap right now Where you work too much you find yourself so much in the business you're not present with your family it's like i just mentioned i or I just thought like when you're like COVID, I thought at the very beginning and I, was, I thought of it funny. guess what? I was hanging out with my family and I wasn't that busy. Um, so it was kind of cool. We were playing card games and, and board games and stuff. And it's like, hey, maybe I should do that more. Um.
1: <laughs> well, and the, and the kids were more present too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole thing is that there was no choice but to be present. And so we've really made it a goal to continue that. And not that we weren't present before, you know, with the types of kids we had, we kind of had to be. But at the end of the day, I think that as a society, we we've kind of forgotten what it is to have true communication. Uh, you know, you, you meet someone and they're so busy doing this, they can't look you in the eye. And so um, I think I hope I hope we're moving back the way of true communication, true connection. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to leave covid and, and leave all that behind.
0: Absolutely. Um, Leah, this has been so much fun. If the audience wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so?
1: um best is to email me it's
0: hi at l okay absolutely tremendous stuff so there we have it everybody she gave your email go ahead and reach out to her if you're buying in the dallas fort worth area sounds like she's somebody worth knowing i would certainly be reaching out to her because i don't know anything about dallas fort worth but it sounds like it's popping um i know that um so leah thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. But get your mind right. Life isn't about what happens to you. It's what you do about it. So consider that. Tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.